Welcome to FinTech Family Hour. This is Zach Anderson Pettit, content director at Money 2020 by day and your host by night. Our guest this week is Ahmad Akund, CEO at Mercury. Mercury is a business-facing neobank that has taken the world by storm. And you know how we love a disclaimer at FinTech Family Hour because you know they're doing it right over there compliance-wise when you need to read it. And here we are. Mercury is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by Choice Financial Group, I know them, and Evolve Bank and Trust member FDIC. I know them too. We cover all kinds of ground, but if you're a startup, jump into the show notes and jump to the portion of the conversation about Mercury Rays. It's quality stuff. Ahmad will be on stage at Money 2020 with Stuart Sop and Kate Rooney Monday, October 23rd. Don't miss it. This episode is brought to you by FS Vector, the firm for innovative financial services. And without further ado, here's Ahmad. So for for listeners, when we before we uh, clicked record here, um, one of the most hilarious things that Ahmad said to me ever, because we haven't talked a ton, and I think we're you know ten minutes into speaking, and this was a funny thing, was the, these are weird to do in person. Yeah. Um. And now we're talking about the Zoom that's sitting in front of us. Um. And dude, this is like if you were going to start traveling for podcasting, get one of these. Wait, it's called a Zoom? It's called a Zoom, yeah. <laughs> Don't yeah. they know that a Zoom is taken? <laughs> well, the, uh, I think Eric Yuan would be the one that would be getting sued on this one. These, these have existed longer than It's than literally Zoom spelled this. the exact same way. So yeah. how, how would the listeners ever find them? I have no idea. <laughs> All I know is that when I get on Amazon, this is the only Zoom. I don't get to purchase the software. Yeah, you can't buy that. Right, that makes it simple. Yeah, and then two XLR cords, two microphones, and you're off to the races. Like, nice. it's the best yeah. yeah and then i avoid the video thing just right. because like i don't know if the listeners will be that interested in you uh this is the good <laughs> thing is that what i've decided where i think this will probably be episode like 103 or so something yeah. like that and what i've decided is i don't care that's oh, the yeah. beauty of it you don't like, care about them i mean you care about them but yeah, like yeah. they're still listening by this point and probably they're like <laughs> yeah. interested in whatever you're <laughs> they're interested. gonna be forced to listen yeah. to whatever yeah. boring like, thing you're we in do. it motherfuckers <laughs> enjoy it just you know yeah. revel in it all right let's let's uh let's get into some things so you and I, have, like I just said, kind of this is our first time really getting to sit down and chat and have, yep. you know, like an actual conversation. And my normal place that I would start would be just like your background, a little bit more about you, you know, tell me about Ahmad growing up, which we might get to. But watching you on stage yesterday was a really interesting experience. And I want to start there. Sure. I'm from Kansas City, just for your background, spend most of my time in New York, but like come to SF as often as I can stay, you know, present, aware of things. And one of the things that really struck me yesterday that I candidly just either wasn't paying attention to, wasn't aware of, like didn't understand the nuance of the dynamic mm -hmm. was how much we don't want to talk about SVP as okay. a industry or uh, as a group of fintech nerds, or maybe it's just the bankers. But there was multiple conversations I was in yesterday where we there was a conversation about the receivership. There was a conversation about a factual thing that did happen. Yeah. And I could see people like start crawling in their skin just about like, oh God, he just said SVP receivership out loud. It's like, you know, I said Voldemort or something like that. It was very confusing. Okay. And then when you were on stage, there was a moment where Wendy from Piermont Bank alluded to the issues that we might, now I'm uncomfortable saying it, the issues that we might have had around like February, March with some of the banks. And she named SVB in that and immediately apologized. So my question, it's less of a question. It's more of just like, a: have you noticed this? Like, is this the thing you're picking up on? Like, are people being apologetic? Because you have been, you know, kind of at the center of a lot of it. So I would assume you're just kind of talking about it based yeah. on the fact that it fucking happened. But what has that been like for you? Um, that's interesting. I haven't necessarily noticed that. But I mean, I would say this. I think there's two interesting elements there. Number one, it was only four or five days, but it was a pretty traumatic four or five days for a lot of people, totally. right? There was yeah. the founders that were like, hey, how am I going to make payroll? And there were, you know, there was so much like, 
like catastrophizing around it. It was like my money is lost, etc. And that's yeah. I mean that was a lot of people. And yeah. then there was the VCs that were trying to help their founders and. Uh, and then there was so, Jason Calacanis and yeah, and whatever. then there was people freaking out. On the yeah. <laughs> so even though it was a short time period, there might be some just literal like PTSD and people like to kind sure. of sure, uh, sure, sure. bury yeah. the head when it comes to like past trauma. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's one element of it. I think the second element is probably around, especially on that stage, you know, SVB was there. So, yep. and, and the whole thing was called first SVB. So I think there's like, you know, obviously you don't want to be like rude to someone on the stage and like, there's like, well, you know, like, yo, but it happened uh, though. Right? Yeah, I like, I mean, it was, uh, it was literally a moment of like, it felt like it felt like, I mean, I think Wendy was really to your point, just trying to be polite, Yeah, but it def it felt like this manifestation of a, what like, we don't talk about fight club kind of thing just yeah, in that moment. So. And maybe, maybe it is just me, maybe, or I don't know. I don't think it's just me because I definitely have talked to a number of people about this like last night. And since yeah. then, I'm just like, I'm just fascinated by the dynamic, but it definitely, it, it seems, it seems a lot like there's almost like this motion around like what Wells Fargo was kind of going through when they would prefer to not discuss maybe some of their difficulties and they just kind of move straight through. Yeah, them. Yeah. But I don't know, maybe it's something I'm, I wonder if there's some sort of tech privilege thing as well, right? That SVB was bailed out and like, there's a lot of. At least there's a lot of media around like, oh, like tech is no good. And like, why did we bail out a bunch of rich people and all of this kind of yeah. uh, talk, uh, which I don't agree with. Uh, yeah, I don't but either. Like, and maybe th there's a little bit of that and like people don't want to talk about it because of that. Yeah, I hope not in that room, like on a tech crunch disrupt stage yeah. and for fintech. Like, I hope that we're past that. But um, anyway, so let's let's go into the other thing that I was thinking as I was sitting in the audience yesterday watching you, which is like, what the fuck is this like for Ahmad right now, right? Because like Pyramont's a, you know, de novo chartered bank, like the, the amount of everything that they had to go through to get there. Yeah, that's a thing. JP Morgan, SVB, yeah. and Mercury. There's one There's one group up there that does not have a charter yeah. and that, it, that is different than the others. Um, and that like is really a startup. Like you guys have grown really fast and everything, but like you're a startup and you're a, you know, serial entrepreneur, like, that's a unique thing. How the fuck did that feel, especially being where you were, you know, just a few years years ago? Yeah, there's two aspects. I mean, number one, you know, I, I was frustrated with banks, right? Like, that's why I started right. Mercury. So, yeah. yeah, I've been for years going like, ah, this is so painful. And why is it so painful? And uh, like, why doesn't someone fix this? And eventually I fixed it. So I have this like, to some extent, like years of built up frustration. So when I was on that panel and, you know, someone was like, oh, like, banking product as a commodity and we all offer the same thing. I was like, no, I'm sorry. Like, we do not offer the same things. Like, Mercury pro provides a differentiated product and you guys all kind of suck. Uh, but <laughs> You uh, actually, I mean, you didn't say that, but... I mean, you, I got uh, close to you, were, you were just about fucking there and, you, and it was really clear to the crowd that that's, yeah, it was yeah. a clear takeaway. So there, there was that element of feeling like a little frustrated that like all of these things that I felt were like, you know, and it's it's kind of strange because I also don't want to be mean to the people on the stage, and it's not their fault, of of course. But You're mad but at uh, the system. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's it is a systemic issue to some extent. Uh, so that was like one feeling I had that going like, okay, you know, this like this conversation isn't yeah, like the uh, the rest of it was like a little boring to me. I was like, okay, you know, the the fundamental thing is like that you know this system needs to improve, and like we're trying to push the improvements, and I don't think like everyone else even acknowledges that they were much more like oh banking is the same it's yeah. been the same for 50 years yeah i'm like that's the problem um so that's that's one element there's definitely something you know mercury has made like progress like i guess i don't know if you'd call it incrementally but you know every year we've got bigger right so it's quick uh, i mean it's, it's very fast incremental progress yes. yeah, phrase it how you want so we start like, yeah we yeah. launched in 2019 <laughs> uh so there's there's been like two moments where like there's been like a step change in like people's perception of Mercury, which doesn't always match like our per perception of it. Uh, step change one, I guess, actually step change one is actually in the reverse where like COVID was over-ish and, you know, everyone started going to things again. So it was 2021 and we had grown so much like, like pre-COVID, we just launched like six months ago or something or oh. A year, almost a year ago. Wow, so we I hadn't really then, thought about. That. Okay, and then I, you know, we basically didn't talk to anyone. We just like fixed things and like we did customer support and all that, but like no one was out there talking, right? Uh, and then post COVID, which was like mid twenty twenty one, like 
you know, I suddenly talked to people and I was like, I was, I was in this room at this event that wasn't really a tech event. It was just a SF like event. And like half the people there who had a startup, a recent startup were like using Mercury. And I was like, whoa, how do we go from like, no one knows about Mercury to half the people in the room are using it. So that was like a... how did you find that? Did they tell you? Like, how do you... Yeah, it was just like, oh, yeah, you know, you're having these conversations. Um, yeah, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, start, I started Mercury. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, I love Mercury. And I was like, oh, you use it? And it was like, I mean, I knew from our numbers that we had grown a lot. But to see it like in this kind of way where, yeah, you don't, you don't have a perception of market share or like prevalence when you're just looking at like growing. Um, so that was a very distinct moment for me where I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And then, yeah. And then post SVB now, like almost everyone knows about Mercury, especially in these kind of fintech um, circles. And that is like weird because I still think of us as like a small underdog. <laughs> and it is strange to be on a stage and go, okay, you know, we, like excluding SVB, we, we have more startups than everyone else. Uh, and we might even have more startups, including SVB. So uh, yeah, it's kind of like a weird perspective change like i still think of ourselves as a, a small company that's like just trying to figure things out i imagine it's weird to be in your shoes in a number of facets when it comes to that because the the, the commodity thing that you were talking about right like the idea that it is a commodity isn't a commodity i mean this is our this is our first time chatting but like yeah. i i have read plenty of like a mod thought leadership right about like product development or like I've listened to your, you know, your conversations with a number of different people. And I have to say that like you absolutely are a thought leader when it comes to product development in the banking space. Yeah. But when I read your thought leadership about product development in the banking space, I'm like, the fact that a mod has to say half this shit is wild to me. Yeah. Like, because so much of it is just like, you should put the consumer at the center, you know, like, like sure. we, we built from the bank, we gave a really good checking account. And then we built out from there because we saw the bank account as the center. Like, I'm just, duh, right? Like, isn't that the, like, to me, that's just like, I mean, no, it's not obvious. And there's an immense amount of like execution and everything that actually goes into it. And yeah. to your point, iteration and development, but like, duh right like do, do you ever just kind of feel like you're just like saying something wildly obvious to you and the bankers yeah, are like sure. holy I mean, like, shit yeah every now and then i have to use a bank uh, like i you know <laughs> have to use a personal bank and i'm like wow this is just like so hard to do things and the bar is like definitely low yeah so you know when we're like oh we made it very easy to do x like it's not rocket science right it's like you made a nice form and like you kind of guessed what people wanted and <laughs> yeah. you you defaulted to good choices uh so that's one element i think there is another element which is kind of interesting that like fintech for a long yeah uh this element where innovation tends to like flow down the easiest route right mm -hmm. uh so fintech for a long time avoided the bank account because that is like a hard route uh especially in business banking i think uh, so if you look at a lot of like these kind of standalone tools like, you know, Bill.com or Gusto or whatever, right? There's a, there's a lot of tools out there that kind of avoid the bank account bit and then innovate around the bank account. So you right. could imagine in the long run, like if if banks were really good and could really build software, like they would have built those tools. But because they don't, uh, like kind of third-party fintechs came along yeah. and like kind of innovated around them. So it is kind of unusual to go actually after the hard bit and then innovate around that. Uh, and I think that was the, like, to some extent, the gap and the scary thing that we tried to tackle. Yeah. I mean, if you're unbundling, why unbundle and fix the hardest? Like, unbundle and fix the easiest thing, yeah. sell it to Q2 or whatever as fast as you can and get the fuck out with the bag of money, right? Like, yeah, it yeah. makes a ton of sense. Yeah. I mean, when I was pitching for our seed round, this is 2017, you know, I'd be right. You know, we're going to build a bank account and we're going to build analytics on top of it. And we're going to build an API on top of it. And we'll do that. And then like maybe half the feedback I received was like, oh, why don't you just build analytics on existing bank accounts? And why don't you just build APIs on existing bank accounts? I was like, that's not the point. <laughs> the point is to build the next like, you know, the next version of what banking could be. And uh, like APIs and analytics and all that is just like an example of that. But that was definitely not like most investors' instincts. Most investors' instinct was like, that's really hard. You should do the easier thing and innovate around it. Who who did get it? And I really want to ask who didn't get it that now does. But yeah. who, who, especially in the early days, did get it? I mean, I would say, you know, Alex Rampel was our first yeah. kind of lead investor from Andreessen Horowitz. And he 
I think he has at least like three or four kind of banking related investments, like both fintech and like actual like chartered banks. So he really gets it. And I think he, he really read. And I wasn't expecting to raise from a VC because, you know, I had, there was no, no product. I was just like, okay, you know, I, I, I wasn't expecting like a VC to go bet on something that was like pre-product. Um, well, as in you thought like it was just going to be an angel round or. Yeah, I thought I would yeah. just do an angel round. I mean, yeah. maybe a seed fund, but like not a VC. Not, VC, a, so. a, not Alex Rampell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, fair, I was just fair. talking to him because I just thought, you know, he was a smart person. Yeah. He knew the space. Um, so he definitely got it. And then, yeah, there was a combination. Like we did a fairly successful round in like basically a week. So so there was lots of people. It wasn't the hardest it. fundraise ever. It was ever. not the hardest yeah. fundraise. Um, you know, the Series A is kind of like, again, it wasn't that hard. It took us about three weeks to get it done. <laughs> but a lot of people said no. Uh, the Series A, I would say the seed, there wasn't that many people that I even talked to because yeah. Alex came in pretty quickly. And, yeah. and like I talked to him on Thursday and I had a term sheet by Tuesday. And I was just like... It's a good turnaround. <laughs> I yeah. wasn't talking to anyone else really. Yeah. So that was quick. Yeah, but Series A, like, you know, CRV eventually read it, but led it, but basically everyone else said no. What year was the A? This is 2019. Um, okay. And to be fair to them, like, we were three weeks out and I was asking, uh, I came out like asking initially for $150 million valuation. <laughs> so I kind of understood, uh, like, I was kind of overshooting. Uh, we eventually ended up raising an $100 million valuation, which is still unreasonable, but a little more reasonable. Uh, and I th- that was most of the feedback, but yeah, still, they should have done it. <laughs> I mean, in hindsight. It seems like, I mean, that's the answer in hindsight with all of it, right? It's like the the winners are winners and uh, it tends not to matter a ton what the price was, especially around A or seed on the winners show. Sure. Yeah. And you're you're doing a lot of investing. I mean, you have you've formalized a fund at this point, right? Yeah. So I've, I've got a rolling fund. Okay. Uh, I don't know how formal that counts, but it's... It counts. <laughs> my, my, so my best friend actually runs a rolling fund um, yeah. and like runs it on the AngelList platform yeah. and like is doing that whole... So I'm like unfamiliar with rolling funds other than him and it, watching him build it. Yep. That's a real thing. That shit takes real work. Yeah, like, yeah. That is very much um, real. Yeah. My, you know, I really do it because I enjoy hearing new ideas and talking to yeah. founders and being helpful. Uh so I try to do the minimal work possible on the LP side. Uh, like m- almost all my LPs, just because it's on the AngelList platform and people know me. And uh, I before I started Mercury, I was yeah I did consider becoming a VC. So I spent a year and a half basically. Like I sold my company start of 2016, kind of was vesting in peace. So I spent a year and then a half before I started. Wait, did you just say vesting in peace? Yeah, that's like a standard term. I, I yeah, I'm sure I'm sure it is, but like so much of my life is like not Silicon Valley related. Like I, you know, I don't know some Have you of watched the tropes. Silicon Valley of HBO course, show? yeah, it's, but it's like, in that they all sitting on the balcony. Well, the, they, they call the it rest. Balcony. They call it rest and vest. I don't. I've never heard of oh. call it say right. vest and peace. Okay, is, maybe that's no, just I a method. I mean, I fully believe. Like, if you just came up with that, you're a genius. There, I don't believe you just came up with that because it's too I fucking it was a standard good. Term. Yeah, it's, it has to be a standard yeah, yeah. term, but I've never heard it before, and we're putting it in the show notes, Johnny. Uh, so I wanted to see, you know, maybe I wanted to be an investor sure. full time. So I, yeah. I was pretty aggressive in starting out then. I did basically like 30 investments in my in the first year. What made uh, you think you wanted to be an investor? Because everything about watching you from the outside is like this dude's an operator and a builder. Uh, what made me think? Uh, I mean, it sounds like fun. Yeah, right? theoretically, I'm and, with you. And yeah. I like talking to founders yeah. and I thought... So I was actually in the original Y Combinator batch with Dropbox and oh, wow. with Airbnb. So I did two YC companies. In I was going to say, not for Mercury, no, though. <laughs> neither of those were Mercury. In 07 and 09, I did two, a YC company and another YC company. Yeah, even in 07, I was like, I did like $200 bets saying like Dropbox is going to be a billion dollar company. Like they had nothing. So... And Airbnb, actually, I was completely wrong on. I was like, no one's going to want to live in people's houses. So, uh, so I was like, hey, I, and, I, and I'd been doing this like every demo day I'd go and I'd be like, these are my favorites uh, and I'd track them. So I felt like I had a reasonable kind of eye yeah. for picking companies. Um, so in those aspects, and, you know, that's somewhat paid out. Like I have like 13 unicorn investments now or something like that. Wild, uh, but I quickly realized that... It, you know, I would just find it boring. Uh, like, it's fun to have those founder conversations, but like, you come in with all these ideas and then, you know, the founder, they gotta go whatever do they want to do. Yeah. do. And uh, the most depressing part of investing for me was the most successful companies would never talk to me. <laughs> right? Makes, like, yeah, I, I invested in 
uh, Rappy, uh, you know, pre demo day. Like I did a check into them. It's my probably my most successful investment. I they was never like, call, hey, can they I be helpful? Write. Whatever. Like, but they, they just like, yeah, every six months they'd raise another round, etc. Fuckers. And they were just, they were just killing it. Uh, and I was like, wow, I'm just like, I'm just a pure spectator. And 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 also most of the time in these successful companies, you know, those are hot rounds. Generally speaking, I'm sure there's some exceptions. So, you know, as a seed investor, like, fine, I made a good choice, but I didn't really change the trajectory of that company in any way. Um, so that was just like, I was like, okay, you know, fine, I'll make some money doing this. But it was not a very fulfilling task from my perspective. I like have to ask a follow up question about your opinion on like, quote unquote, value add venture capital now yeah. based on that. Just like, no, I think there are a few like a series A investor can really help be helpful. Okay. Right. Um, it just depends what what stage you're investing in. Like if you're Maybe if you're the first check in companies that are not Silicon Valley type companies, right? Like you could maybe be an enabler. Uh, alternative, your Series A prime lead investor and you're really leaning in. I think they do change trajectories to some extent. I don't know if they change it that much more compared to another good Series A inv- lead investor. I guess but, that's that's my question. Uh, Is it like because they have... 600 employees and like a lot of them function in marketing and you can lean on some of their marketing department or is it because Bill Gurley's Bill Gurley, you know, like. Yeah, I mean, a lot of VCs do a good job. Um, Like, you know, Andreessen Horowitz has, I guess, the 600, so you're probably referring to them. I mean, there's been multiple times. I'm an A16Z fan, for the record, (laughs) for the record. There's definitely been multiple times where I'm like, wow, that was like super useful. Like we have a, uh, we have Mercury on on Twitter or X or whatever it's called. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, that was very much because A16Z was helpful in helping us get it. Uh, so they're, they're useful. And, you know, people I know but that... But you have to do your benchmark. fucking job, right? Yeah, like, exactly. that's the thing. Yeah. I think that at the end of the day, an entrepreneur has to do most of the work. Right. I mean, I'm sure there's like some exceptions where like the VCs role is fundamentally makes the company successful or not successful but i think those are generally rare yeah do you feel like you're probably going to keep investing through the rest of your well, i was going to say career but i feel like maybe your post-retirement still writing checks uh, no i'm still investing uh no i mean like when you're you know 80, oh like, will I, will like I forever yeah, i don't, I yeah. don't know <laughs> That's, i need a like, commitment Ahmad. i need you to on this podcast I right can, now say for the next 60 years you're writing checks. I, can, I can more <laughs> i would say i can more guarantee that i'll probably forever be heavily involved in startups <laughs> either ma- either making them or being ceo or whatever i think that's really fun uh yeah i don't know if i'll forever be investing fair yeah. enough fair enough so just despite your willingness to commit you uh you are very committed to entrepreneurship and just like starting companies right yep. like i was listening to i've listened to like a good i think a decent amount of like your fintech interviews the miguel stuff whatever but i was going for a walk last night and i was like i'm like go see how Ohad's podcast is doing because I haven't listened to War Room in a while. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, shit. I was on Small that world. <laughs> um, and I was listening to it and I was just kind of thinking about about the choice to become a founder. Yeah. And it's one of the things about Ohad that I think drives me nuts is that like how simple he makes being a founder look and how... I know that it's like drug him through the mud. I know he's yeah. been through wild amounts of shit, but he just has this vibe of like, or maybe it's just my own thing. But every time I talk to him and every time I have those moments with him, I'm like, oh, I could, I could do this too. It would be really hard, but I could do this too. Sure. And I still haven't. And I guess the question is like, what got you to take the red pill the first time and go down that rabbit hole? And like, could you ever go back is yeah, the thing yeah. I'm always fascinated by. Um, I feel like you have a pretty entrepreneurial mindset. Like I, got, I don't know if I got anyone... a W two though, big dog. Like it's pretty easy. It's easy yeah. to run a podcast on yeah. the side if you got health insurance yeah. and everything else. During but I don't the day. think like anyone told you to start this, right? So uh, fair. Like I had this, uh, yeah, I had this one jo- uh, job out of college, um, and I thought, you know, my dad is an entrepreneur. Um, he st- he runs, I mean, still owns a, a, a car mechanic uh, thing in Pakistan. Okay, and. So I thought, oh, like abstractly, I thought eventually I would do this. Uh, but I graduated and I was like, okay, you know, I'll go get this job. And I had a uh, basically a programming job at Bloomberg. And it was just like so personally depressing for me. Like <laughs> I just like I'd, w- you know, I'd wake up, I'd go in and I would be a massive slacker. Like I was not working hard. 
But I would just come home and I'd be so tired and like drained from like not doing anything all day. I don't know. Like it's hard I think to that's describe. just called being American. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, I know. It was really like quite a, it was much worse than I thought it would be. Yeah. Because like, you know, I'm, I'm fine with hard work, but I just find it so like intellectually draining. Yeah. Um, so then, uh, you know, a year in or something, my, you know, my, someone who worked with me and who became my co-founder, we would just look at TechCrunch and, you know, we were engineers. So we'd go like, oh, this looks easy. This looks easy. Why can't we just do this? And I mean, it's obviously not easy, but, but the actual like programming part was easy. So that was, I mean, we were right about that. Uh, so we were just like, yeah, screw it. Let's just do this idea. And we had an uh, uh, idea that kind of eventually became like a Yelp for London. And so we just quit. And yeah, at that point I was thinking, hey, I'll try this. You know, who knows whether it work, but yeah, I was just out of college. I had like very low kind of cost of living and I saved up a little bit of money. Yeah. I just figured I'd get a job if it doesn't work out. That was like my thinking. Uh, and I was pretty sure I could get a job. Uh, so the risk wasn't that high, uh, but then I did it and it was hard. Like we raised no money. You know, I was working like you know, 9 a.m. to midnight, uh, like six days a week at least. Uh but it was just like I could do that and I still felt like high energy at the end of it because I was like, I know what I'm making and I was doing it for myself and I'd go to these events and I'd meet other entrepreneurs and we were all trying to, you know, there was a very small kind of entrepreneur circle yeah. back back then. This is 2006 in London. Uh, but we were all trying to do this like thing and it was hard and like no one was showing us how to do it. And it was just like a very different feeling. And from that point, I was just like, I can't do anything else. Like, Yes, it's hard, but at least like I'm alive. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, that was my view on it, uh, and and I really see it as a privilege doing a startup. Like I don't think of it as like a hard job. Yeah. I mean, yes, it's hard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's like the alter. I've seen the alternative, and right. it was much worse. Like I would much rather have a, a hard, difficult time where I'm like energized to try to like uh, solve it than like a boring time where it's it's easy and boring. Do you think if you would have trudged through the depression a few more years, gone, you're like, ah, that sucked. But like maybe a second job is going to suck less. You know, I'm going to be less depressed <laughs> if instead of Bloomberg, I go work, you know, wherever. Do, do you think like it's such a fucking hard question to even phrase? Like what I'm trying to ask is, do you like think you would actually do it? it? Uh, I think there's two elements that makes it probably like me a little unusual and probably I would have like come to this conclusion eventually. Number one, I just don't really care about risk. Like, you know, I had... Explains a lot about you, my friend. <laughs> like, I, I'm willing to like just sleep on the floor. Yeah. And like when I moved uh, to SF, you know, I, we had like no money. And I was eating like chicken and rice over and over $13 a week you know I was counting every freaking penny but yeah. like I don't care right like whatever you, I still had food I still had shelter right I had, I had nothing to complain about from my perspective so like I don't have like a high level of material need or whatever so that helps and and I don't yeah I don't value like yeah I don't really care that much about being comfortable and I don't value risk in the same way that most people do maybe I mean now it's slightly different since I have two kids and obviously I care about their comfort uh, so that's one element. And the second element is I really, really, really can't. I don't like being managed. Like, I don't like being told to do things, even like having an investor, which, you know, I now deal with them a lot better. But like this idea that like they're managing me, like just bugs me. I think I'm like irrational about it. I'll probably go worse about it. Uh, and I definitely get that from my dad. Like he was a really bad employee as well. Uh, but between the two of them, I'm pretty sure this is where, what I would have done eventually. Now let's take a moment to talk about our exclusive sponsor, FS Vector. Relationships, relationships, one more time, relationships. One of the hardest parts of building a meaningful company in the world of finance is understanding what's actually happening in Washington with agencies, the administration, everything going on on Capitol Hill. Who do you actually go to for what in the world of government in general? It is just confusing. We may want to think we're disconnected from the world of politics, building companies. But if we've seen anything this year, it's that we're not. We are very tied to it. The ability to pick up the phone and get an opinion from a decision maker in this world, in the world of politics, is worth its weight in gold. Those aren't calls just anyone can make. This is why I recommend FS Vector. 
Those are the relationships they have. They have partners and senior advisors that have been cultivating those relationships for decades. Some of them have even been on the show. You may know John Betchia. You may know Amy Friend. You may know folks like that. They've been around. They've started building those relationships before they needed them, which is exactly what I recommend anyone do with their government affairs slash policy strategy. Don't wait until it's too late. Get advisors, good ones even, good ones especially, only good ones, and the good ones are at FS Vector. Reach out to FS Vector, go into that contact us, and write in all caps at the top of the form, Zach sent me. FSVector.com and tell him Zach sent you. Yeah, it seems like your personality is just like, nat- I mean, like I said, first time like really hanging out, but it's, you seem absolutely naturally geared towards it. Mm-hmm. It's one of those, you seem to have a lot of inputs outside of tech and fintech and seems like you're just interested in the world, like philosophically yeah. and else like all of that. Um, and I don't know if I'm similarly interested in like as many different things, but one of the things outside of like our world that I'm obsessed with is stand up comedy. And everything you just said sounds like stand up, right? Like it's like, it's wildly painful. Yeah. It's incredibly difficult. You're wildly lonely until you're suddenly not right. Mm -hmm. Like you're just getting up every night. And like, even if you kill in a room of 10 people, like what it's not like you have an opportunity to go suddenly sell tickets somewhere and like, you know, make this massive jump. Like it's just kind of, you know, swimming in obscurity until you suddenly aren't and then you're that guy you know and like i think there's a is an interesting thing i think there is definitely like a similarity between like all the people that do hard things like uh, yeah yeah i don't know if you've read open by agassi uh no i haven't i've I've read a lot of these biography of like people who've been successful in various fields uh there's a stephen king one yeah no no i'm really good so there was a this I hate to admit came up on the all in podcast and Shamath yeah. um, oh, yeah, yeah. Palapatia was the one that said to read open. So I was like, fuck you. No. <laughs> um, you and then it, I yeah. think it was like Friedberg was like, you should read the uh, on writing. And I was like, oh, I like writing. I want to do more yeah, of that. Yeah. I'll read that one. Fuck you, Jamal. You know, like that was pretty much my response. <laughs> anyway, on that one. But it sounds the, good. Uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers guy also has a one. Uh, but all of these are like, there's definitely like this common theme of like, struggle and like you know the loneliness and journey and all that um which is interesting i would i do wonder though like like maybe you have insight on this like as as a stand-up comedian like is the journey fun like is who uh is i mean i don't have insight i'm not you know i i've never done it but based on my level of obsession with it i would say that no fuck no you don't think so you know i mean yes right like of course like it's like I mean, you got multiple laughs on stage yesterday, yeah. right? Like, and yeah, that's probably fulfilling. Like, it f- getting did that it feel even good? With, yeah, yeah, it felt like people were engaged with what I was saying. hundred percent, dude. Like, yeah. and and there was a moment where, like, there were a few different moments you talked yesterday where I wanted literally to clap, and I was like, oh god, I'm the only one in this room about to put my hands together, and humans are humans, and I'm uncomfortable being the one to stick my neck out, so I'm not yeah. going to do that, right? So Funny. you probably over to the side heard like a ha ha. Like that was me, like when everybody else was just totally quiet. But like the moments when you got those full laughs, yeah, like dopamine wise, you can't not love that. So, so yeah, I'm sure it's fun, but like, I don't, I think similar to the, the sleeping on the floor, the chicken and rice, like, I I think that part's probably not as fun. Yeah. But I mean, honestly, like being, I know people are going to say, I'm just making this up, but like being more successful as a startup person versus less, less successful, don't, like on a day-to-day level, don't feel any different. Like you're still doing the same thing, like you're programming or you're building, or you're doing meetings, like, you know, like just, bec- I mean, it does feel good. Like at the end of the month, you look at the graph and it's like pointing up to the right and you're like, okay, that's a great like dopamine hit or whatever. But like the journey is basically the same whether you're like doing well or not. Like you're still like, you know, still building things and you're still talking to customers and that kind of stuff. So like to me, I, I enjoy that, right? Like I, I enjoy it. I don't program anymore, sadly, but I enjoyed programming. I enjoy talking to customers. I enjoy having ideas and building them and all that stuff. And that's, yeah, that's what like makes it worth it, right? It's, I think the end, like the dopamine hit of like the extra better stats or like raising a fundraise or whatever, like actually they don't add up to that much in my opinion. Well, I mean, kind of to your point earlier of like 
you know, when I asked you the question about what it's like to sit on stage with those people, like there's yeah. a, you know, it, of course you're still just building the company. Like, and yeah. you know, of course that just feels like if you suddenly became an ego maniacal dick bag, yeah. like out of left field when your, you know, net worth hit suddenly this, yeah. like, Oh, things you can, are going to tell me if that happens. I'll let you know. I'll, I, th- I feel like, I mean, Celeste is in the room. I think she'd let you know too. Um, <laughs> but I don't think we're there at this point. Um, but it, like, as soon as that, what you just said is not true, I think is when people start to go down that like dark direction, you know, like as soon as you lose that sense of yourself and that sense of like, I'm sure you have, well, maybe I should ask the question instead of saying, I'm sure. Do you have a, like a North star when you wake up in the morning, like a, this is the reason I'm getting out of bed. Obviously you have kids. I'm sure there's multiple layers to it, Yeah. but like with Mercury, do you have one that's like this customer or I don't know, something like that, that I mean, I think it's abstract for sure, but like, you know, to go back to that investor kind of, you know, comment, like, you know, I would like to have impact on the world in a positive sense. And that's kind of my North star. I mean, that's a kind of a broad statement, but you know, I think helping entrepreneurs, you know, even if it's like makes their life a little easier and they don't have to be uh, on a 30 or 60 minute phone call with the bank just to do something basic, right? Like that all adds up. Uh, so that's, I would say, my main North Star. I mean, we just launched. Um, Thank Mer- you. Literally was about to transition yeah. to it. There we go. That's perfect time. My man my, my took col- the softball. Took the softball. My comms team says I don't bridge very well, actually, but <laughs> this was just too natural. That was bridge. the golden gate, big dog. That was the golden gate of All bridges. All right, let me, let me land this hoop. <laughs> uh, anyway, we just launched Mercury Rays, uh, or relaunched it, uh, which is a platform for like helping entrepreneurs kind of with fundraising and uh, expert advice and also to like network together. Um, and yeah, that what gets me excited about it is like a very, you know, most other things you do as a company or product are like much more incremental, whereas like Raise is much more of a direct, like the only mission there is to help entrepreneurs succeed and it's very pure and smooth. And yeah, you know, we've been iterating on that for years, right? We had a, what we call a Raise Seed program where we'll connect uh, companies to investors. So, this is just the newest version of it. Uh, What's and- different? What have you learned? Like, what what is why relaunch? Because I, I, just knowing you and just following you on Twitter, you're like available for founders. You're happy to spend yeah. a little bit of time. Like, that's just been a part of who you are. Yeah. Um. So, why relaunching? Why a new? You know, like, kind yeah, of, yeah. What What's the new version? Um. There's a few things. Uh. Number one, with the fundraising thing. Uh. It was kind of inconvenient. We would run every three months. We would pick a few companies and then we'd blast them to all the investors on the network, which is about 500. So uh, it was annoying for companies I wasn't all the time. And then it was a little annoying for investors because they were like, hey, I'm only investing in this or, you know, I only care about AI right now. Yeah. I don't want Wish to invest in... this a week ago yeah. or whatever. Or yeah, I yeah, only yeah. invest in LATAM. So it yeah. was just not... Uh, uh, it wasn't always perfect, but it did help a bunch of company raise companies raise money so conceptually it was correct but it just needed iteration yeah, so v1 so that one's like not yeah pretty much the same thing but like now we run every 30 days we're collecting way more information from investors uh so they like really say like what stage what industry yeah blah 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 what check size etc so we can match much better um so that's the investor part the expert sessions like that kind of concept we've done ad hoc like you know we've run a lot of zoom events and things like that so we're kind of just formalizing into like an ongoing ongoing yeah. thing uh and then the the community network part uh we've never quite nailed that it's actually kind of really hard to build a community yeah uh, when i was so, watching your launch video yeah. to be honest there there were there was it was like that makes sense that makes sense that sounds really fucking hard like yeah but it's really you know especially if like if you look at white combinator which you know i i've been lucky enough to be part of that community it's just been the most useful thing is the other Y Combinator alumni, right? That's just like when you, when people are like, Hey, how do I get in touch with investors? I'm like, well, hopefully you have a bunch of friends that are entrepreneurs and you know, you can, they can each introduce you to three or four people, uh, which is what I sometimes say, but yeah, that's hard for people to do if they're not in Silicon Valley and they don't have that kind of easy plug-in community. Uh, but I do think it's like a very essential part of being successful as an entrepreneur. For uh, sure. How much so, do you think being an SF or having an SF network like 
matters today as a fan. Like if I was going to leave Money 2020 tomorrow, yeah. I would mean, you, should I, think, I move here? I think you can do it from anywhere now. Um, it's just easier. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, uh, it's easier uh, here. It's easier here. Yeah. Right. Uh, just because it's like, it's just very casual if you live somewhere to go like, let's grab a coffee or, yep. you know, you go to a thing, like you'll go to a poker or whatever it is. Like you will just live your normal life and you will connect with people. Yeah. And that's what like networking really is. It's like building real connections with people. Uh, this kind of idea of networking, which is like, I'm going to fly to SF and I'm going to have one week where I'm going to like go fill my Stop time talking with, about like, my life, Ahmad. VCs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like it works, but it doesn't build as many meaningful connections um and yeah those meaningful like now we've been here 16 years 15 years whatever uh and that's when like you know if i was to do another company like there's just a lot of people that know me and trust me outside my work stuff um it just it just changes like you know that conversation i mean i still have to be convincing but you know when you're meeting someone for the first time or even the third time but they only it's only ever been transactional it's a very different conversation to like, hey, I know you really well. Like, you know, I still want to believe that this company is, uh, is a good idea. Yeah. But like, there's just a bunch of checkboxes that you have up front. Yeah. Um, and personally for me, since I, you know, want to be an entrepreneur forever and care so much about it, yeah. I would definitely want to be here. Uh, there's definitely other people that do it for different reasons, right? Like they start a company because they really want to solve the problem, but they're not necessarily like enamored with being an entrepreneur for the sake of it. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. And people obviously have all sorts of circumstances. It's I would say way easier. Even like pre-COVID, it was it was harder not being in Silicon Valley or some other tech hub. Uh, Post-COVID, I would say you know seed rounds. Even now, you know, I I have very very rarely met someone to like invest in them. It's all been on Zoom. Even now, even though I could meet them, I mean I I'd, I mean I guess I asked them where are you, but. But it's never like a part of my investment decision where I'm like, right. oh, it's not in, you know, it's not in San Francisco. I'm not going to invest. Uh, whereas pre-COVID, like, you know, I would half the time at least meet people, uh, maybe even 75% of the time. So so seed rounds are much easier. And Series A's, you can always fly in. But I would say it's harder. Yeah. I mean, li- the idea of a three, that's what you said, right? Three week Series A. And then it was like a one week seed round for Mercury. Like <laughs> yeah. the, the idea that that's going to happen in New York doesn't feel real and the idea that you're actually going to be able to fly here and get anything done in a week if you're not either living here or like really actively building those really good i guess the more that i think about it and the more listening you talk it sounds like there's a uh very real competitive advantage to building long-term relationships here not just when you fucking need something that's the thing that i yeah, like I every so. time somebody gets on a plane to get here it's like well i'm going to get someone's money and it's like are you have you met them before? Like, yeah. have you had a conversation? You know, it seems very yeah, like, I mean, one-sided. It's similar to like the problem with Zoom, right? Like yeah. I think every time you have a Zoom meeting with someone, like it's very hard to network on Zoom, right? Like it's always transactional. It's like, okay, you know, how can I help you? Like, what are you doing? Oh, that's interesting. And, like it's much more like that versus like, oh, you know, let's just have a coffee or lunch or you know, all those things. Um, so yeah, I, th- yeah, I do think it's different. Coming back to Mercury Rays. So it's, re- I mean, one, I love that you're doing it, of course. Two, one of the things that I one actually one of the things that kind of made me fall in love with fintech, I guess, was Stripe's growing the GDP of the internet yeah. like, goal. Like I feel like that's one of the best copywritten goals as like a company North yeah. Star in the history of the world, as far as I'm aware. And I feel like you have very similar like I don't know if it's growing the GDP of the internet necessarily, but it feels like there's a very similar ethos it seems like there's a very similar energy a very similar drive mm-hmm. in what you're doing in the way that like i don't know why does stripe have stripe publishing no good reason right and like your stuff actually like aligns and it, there is a good reason for the stuff you're doing so i don't even know if there's really a question there but it's just it's i guess the question is have you do you have that inside of yourself is that a thing that's on a wall somewhere that i just haven't read like that kind of north star thing or is yeah. it just like building the easiest bank <laughs> um yeah the north star thing has always been like uh build a kind of future banking for yeah, tech enabled businesses uh if it was like one liner uh yeah one of our sub goals i would say and we have that written down like there's three of them one is like grow and grow or die and there's 
Uh, and I think the second or third one is helping entrepreneurs succeed. Okay. Uh, so it's definitely part of like what we care about and what we think about all the time. And I think like with Raise, you can make it very, very kind of real and specific. Uh, and that, yeah, that makes it. Yeah, there's yeah, a clear connection. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We don't like to bullshit ourselves if that makes sense like we don't want to be like oh yeah we're gonna do this but then like don't deliver on it kind of thing uh so i like that aspect of it i think there's a you know to be i guess like a little bit abstract or reductionist about it like fintech is kind of interesting because like you know you do need to establish trust and like marketing and brand is out of is part of establishing trust and it matters a lot more than like a SaaS tool would right because yep you know, for those things, like you use them and they have some data, but like you can always just use the competitor and it's like kind of easy. Uh, whereas fintech tends to be like very sticky and they're dealing with like a lot of money and your money. And, you know, if there's if there's any sort of like low trust situation, uh, you know, people will leave very yeah. quickly kind of thing. Um, so I think because of that. <laughs> Circling us back to the beginning of this conversation. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but because of that, like I think it lends itself to, to having, you know, community building and like other elements that like are are like trust building uh yeah i'm sure stripe thinks about it like similar to to us in that way yeah and i mean if you extrapolate it out like i mean it's just like an honest version of the you know shoe drive that wells fargo does down the street or something like yeah. you know like they i think the financial institutions have been doing versions oh, of yeah yeah for a long time so makes sense one of the final questions if not the final um Mercury IO recently hired a good friend of mine. Hi, George, if you're listening. One, I would love to understand a little bit more about Mercury IO. Two, as I was listening to you on stage yesterday, I was hearing a lot of conversation about multiple products, about the idea that, you know, multiple products creates a competitive advantage, which feels wildly obvious to me. Um, but we still talked about it for five, 10 minutes. How much do you feel like your current like development strategy, your current just road that you're running on is a road to rebundle faster than all the rest of the unbundlers? Um, and inside of that, tell us about Mercury IO. I'm not a fan of like thinking about things as like rebundling or even thinking about competitors too much. I think what I like to go is like think about it more in terms of first principles and say, okay, you know, we have a bank account. What is the most helpful thing we can do to customers for customers that would like add more value on top of the bank account? Uh, I think Mercury.io, which is our credit card, is just a very obvious addition to banking. Like we already have your money there, so like it's another way to spend the money. We already have your finance team using the bank account. It's an, yeah, and something else to manage. And then when you have all the transactions, you can kind of view them in one place, etc. So. And then once we have that, you know, obviously then we're like, okay, what other features do we need? Okay, we need good receipt management. We need uh, the ability to block merchants. And we just keep kind of building on top of that kind of base. So I guess you could view that as like rebunding. I I kind of mostly view it as like we will do our own things and listen to customers. And yeah, sometimes we'll do things that no one else is doing uh, in a banking context. Like we've launched a uh, safe by Mercury where you can raise a safe investment and, you know, we will track the wire and close it out as soon as the wire comes in and all of that. And those are things that you can only do because you have the kind of the primary bank account for people. So uh yeah. I I've always kind of thought about Mercury and why I was excited about Mercury is once you build the bank account, there's just so much you can build on top of that, right? I know I don't like calling it a platform just because that's like become meaningless word, but yeah, no, sure. <laughs> uh, like it is a place where like, it's one of the first things you set up. It's where your money is, it's where your finance team is. Uh, yeah. Everything kind of has to come back to it anyway. Um, so when it comes to helping you run your finances, it's very natural to like build additional things on top of it. Uh, like we have this diagram of like, here's all the different ways money can come end up at a company and here's mm-hmm. all the ways money can leave a company. And like, how do we, you know, obviously we're not going to do all of that, but like, how do we add value on top of that to make it a very smooth, seamless experience for our customers? It's interesting. It, how much time do you actually spend thinking about the world of fintech and how much time do you spend trying to avoid this like circle jerky thing that we do in fintech where we all just talk about each other and do you like actually like do you give a shit about any of this or do you just like try to avoid it because if i was you i'd probably be trying to avoid a lot of it yeah i don't really think that much about fintech or competitors or what other people are doing 
I don't think it's like that useful. So, you know, one thing that's kind of funny is, you know, I've been doing startups for so long and there's always like this boogeyman competitor. Yeah. Uh, you said, I think you said uh, this in the OHAD episode. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, just like when you're first as an entrepreneur, you're like, oh my God, they've raised more money than us. Or yeah. like, like, why did they launch this? We didn't launch that. And you get all like this kind of obsessed about it. And then after a few years, you're like, wow, they're just dead. <laughs> or like, <laughs> the, or the idea didn't even matter, right? Like you weren't working on the right thing. And I'm like, yo, all this, all these kind of mental cycles you spent, like kind of thinking about this thing was completely a waste of time. And if if all of that time you just focused on just building and doing your thing and doing it well, uh, it would have been fine. So that's always been my yeah. approach uh, at Mercury. It was definitely not my approach at my previous companies where we were like at times kind of focused uh, on it. But but yeah, at the end of the day, you know, everyone else will die or sell or whatever. whatever. And as long as you just stay focused and keep growing and keep focused on customers, I think you'll be fine. I think that is a beautiful spot to end with the horse blinders on and moving straight down the road, not too worried about others. And I think yeah. that's a good like, lesson in life to be happy too. just like oh, 100%, you know yeah. optimize your own shit yeah. and don't worry too much There's about like anybody nice, else's nice quote about it it's like compare it's like comparison is the death of happiness or yeah comparison's like the yes i don't know if it's the death that it's something churchill said a thing one time or whatever <laughs> yeah one of those guys they look so similar yeah there's a lot of overlap between churchill and buddha ahmad thank you my friend this has been really fun yeah enjoyed the convo thanks thanks Dan. hey thanks for listening if you're still listening, you're probably reaching for your phone to pick your next podcast or switch to music or just call it a day because you can't believe how much valuable information you just took in. But before you pick that next thing, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends and all that jazz. Generally scream from the rafters about how much you love FinTech Family Hour. Thank you again to our sponsor, FS Vector. And until next time, stay healthy, keep your head high, your costs low, and I love you all.